Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 75 of the Hydrogen Nowcast. Now, this is a revised version of this podcast, which I previously uploaded on July 7th. I wanted to incorporate some additional ideas sent to me by listeners. Well, the Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero emission vehicle needs. If you were the fleet or transit operator, and your fleet is wondering how to convert to zero emission vehicles but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can give you the option of fuel cell vehicles by providing public hydrogen fuel stations near you and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more information about both vehicles and fueling, visit the NewDayHydrogen.com website where you can also submit requests on the contact page. Well, part of the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act is a provision for what's called the 45V Hydrogen Production Tax Credit. Now, the production tax credit provides up to $3 credit per kilogram of hydrogen produced for projects with life cycle greenhouse gas emissions less than 0.45 kilograms of CO2 equivalents per kilogram of hydrogen. Now, the U.S. Department of the Treasury is now being asked to write guidance on how the tax credits will be implemented. The purpose of the guidance for the legislation should be to solely apply the 45V production tax credit to renewable energy transferred between one particular renewable energy supplier and one particular hydrogen generator. Now, unfortunately, the rules that are being proposed don't achieve the goal of accurately capturing the true exchange of renewable energy. In fact, they can actually miss capturing the exchange in some cases if the time interval is too short. And tragically, the proposed rules are almost impossible to meet by most businesses. Now, the three rules that I'm referring to is hourly matching, which requires hydrogen producers to match their consumption of electricity from the grid with clean electricity production on an hourly basis. The second one is deliverability, that renewable electricity production must be nearby the hydrogen facility. And the last one is additionality, and that is only using renewable electricity production that's been recently installed. Now, it's understandable that these rules have issues, I'll say, since this is complicated and confusing to understand because the electric grid is being used for that energy transmission, but the electric grid acts like a black box with multiple sources and multiple loads, all commingling not only their energy quantities, but the time of generation and use. But there's a better and more correct way to track this renewable energy. So what I'll show in this podcast is that this seeming loss of information can be accounted for simply with an energy contract and energy metering applied over a billing interval. This is a simple and thorough way to accurately account for renewable energy produced and used for hydrogen generation, so that the tax credit can be applied solely to that renewable energy exchanged. And I'm also going to dispel the notion that the renewable source and hydrogen load have to operate at the same time. They do not. As long as we view our data over an appropriate window of time, and a month will do quite nicely. So I'm going to come back to these topics of hourly matching, deliverability, and additionality at the end of the podcast and show better ways to do all three. But first, let me show you that there's a simple and accurate way to meet the intent of the legislation. And let's start with the concept of renewable energy contract. As I previously mentioned, 
a renewable energy supplier, which I'll call the source, and a hydrogen generator, which I'll call the load, need to use the electric grid to transfer energy. But the grid commingles energy from many sources and loads. Yet, in order for energy to qualify for the tax credit, we need to be able to demonstrate that the source energy per time interval and the load energy per time interval are matched. Now, the energy contract serves to legally attest that the electrical energy per interval being supplied by the source is not being sold or committed to any other user or load. Now, this could be new renewable energy or renewable energy diverted from some previous use. But the important point here is that the source and the load are paired by the contract and measured with electric meters and accounted for during some time interval, which you know probably is, would be a month. Now, there's already various contract vehicles that are available for this, such as power purchase agreements or PPAs and renewable energy contracts or RECs, R-E-C. Of course, the PPA or the REC could be between the hydrogen generator and either a private renewable energy supplier or the utility, if the utility has their own renewable sources. Now, second, only the measured energy per interval supplied by the source that matches the measured energy per interval used by the load qualifies for the production tax credit. If the source supplies more energy per billing interval than the load uses, then that excess energy does not qualify for the production tax credit. And if the load uses more energy per billing interval than the source supplied, the made-up energy also doesn't qualify for the credit. Now, this accounts for issues such as renewable energy curtailment or surges in usage by the load. Now, please note a very important point regarding time. The only time interval we need is the billing interval. The source does not have to generate energy at the same time the load is using the energy. This is because energy already contains a time element. And I'll explain this in detail later. But first, I think it'll be helpful if we look at a definition of electrical terms to help us better understand the process to track renewable energy between a particular source and a particular load when using the electric grid, which commingles energy. Now, electric energy is defined as power times time. And power has the units of watts, and time, of course, has the units of hours. Therefore, the unit of electrical energy is the watt hour. Now, for convenience, we often talk in terms of thousands or millions of watt hours, and that is kilowatt hours or megawatt hours, respectively. Now, it's really important to make this mental distinction between power and energy. Power is instantaneous. Energy is power over time. And we're trying to track renewable energy, not power. So the, the importance of this distinction will become clear once we cover a few more points. All right, so energy already contains an element of time. But for tracking and billing purposes, we need to know the amount of energy per some second time interval, which is typically a month. In other words, kilowatt hours per month or megawatt hours per month. And this energy is tracked and reported using electric meters that we're all familiar with. So through metering, we have the means to track the quantity per billing interval of renewable energy being put onto the grid by a renewable source, as well as the quantity per billing interval of energy taken from the grid by the hydrogen generator load. Now, obviously, the quantity generated and the quantity used need to match, 
if we're going to conclude that the quantity used applies for the production tax credit. However, what about the timing of the energy generation versus the timing of the energy use? Does that matter? And what should our measurement interval be? Well, the purpose of the measurement interval is really accounting. In other words, to collect the energy quantity, that is watt hours, reported by the source and the load. And only the matching energy quantity during the interval can claim the production tax credit. Now, at first, you might think that these need to match instantaneously. However, that's not the case since time is already accounted for in the units of energy. That is energy equals power times time. But of course, having too long a measurement interval doesn't make sense either. You know, the hydrogen producers won't want to collect data for years and consequently have to wait years to claim their 45V production tax credit. So what we have here is an accounting issue. How frequently should we tally the renewable energy generated by the source and used by the load? Well, electric energy is commonly billed monthly, and this is certainly an appropriate interval to use for the 45V accounting, as I'll discuss in a minute. Now let's talk about asynchronous energy generation and usage. I've already discussed that by the use of an energy contract and metering, we can verify the matching of renewable energy generation and load usage. But what if during that billing interval, the energy from the renewable source is generated at a time different than the load uses it? Now, as long as the generation and usage fall within our billing interval and quantities match, it doesn't matter. And here's why. So let's say that during our billing interval, our source generates one megawatt of renewable energy and puts it on the electrical grid. But the designated hydrogen load doesn't use it at that time. So what would happen is the utility would reduce the amount of non-renewable energy they produced that month by one megawatt hour. However, that renewable energy will be used by some other load with the effect of decarbonizing one megawatt hour of energy. Now, let's say later, but during the same billing interval, when the hydrogen load uses one megawatt hour of energy, that energy would have been used by some other load but wasn't, since the other load got the renewable energy. So in other words, the two loads exchanged energy usage, with the net effect being the same. One megawatt hour of electrical energy was decarbonized because it was ordered and purchased by the hydrogen generation load and produced by the renewable source. So that renewable energy generation would not have happened if it weren't for the renewable energy contract. Therefore, it doesn't matter that the renewable energy was generated and used at different times during the billing interval. One megawatt hour of energy decarbonization still occurred during that interval. Well, did you follow that? Uh, this is an abstract concept to understand. So let me go over it again, but this time using an example. So let's say that there are two businesses within some electrical grid, and those two businesses want to attach to this grid to transfer electrical energy from a solar array proposed by SAM Solar and an electrolysis hydrogen fuel station proposed by Harvey's Hydrogen. Now, the two businesses execute a power purchase agreement, or a PPA, to agree to transfer one gigawatt hour of renewable energy per month. Now, in order to qualify for the 45V production tax credit, Harvey cites the PPA to verify that the renewable energy from SAM Solar is only being sold to Harvey's Hydrogen. And the quantity of renewable energy is verified by electrical metering at both businesses. 
Now, only the quantity of energy used by Harvey's hydrogen that is matched by Sam Solar qualifies for the tax credit. So what about the time of production and use? As long as the particular production and use applying for the tax credit falls within our billing window, for example, a month, the timing doesn't matter, and here's why. So let's say that for some reason, during a billing month, Harvey's hydrogen never draws electrical energy at the same time that Sam Solar is producing it. When Sam is producing his one gigawatt hour per month of renewable energy, the utility supplying our electrical grid needs to reduce the amount of non-renewable energy they supply to the grid by one gigawatt hour, thereby decarbonizing one gigawatt hour of electricity. Now, at a different time during the billing month, when Harvey's hydrogen draws his one gigawatt hour, the utility needs to supply an additional one gigawatt hour of energy. So during the month, the grid first reduced the amount of dirty energy by a gigawatt hour when Sam produced it, but then increased it by one gigawatt hour when Harvey used it. So one minus one equals zero. So the net result is that during that month, the utility supplied the same energy it would have if Sam and Harvey were not connected to the grid. Yet Sam and Harvey have used the grid to transfer their renewable energy, even if it wasn't at the same time. And this is why the notion of hourly matching is not necessary. The source and the load do not need to supply and use energy at the same time within a billing window. Time is already accounted for in the units of energy, which is power times time. So let's switch back to talking about these currently proposed rules. The preceding discussion demonstrates that renewable energy producers and hydrogen generators can qualify for the production tax credit simply by using an energy contract like a PPA or a REC and electrical metering over a billing interval. Now, at the start of the podcast, I mentioned the proposed rules of hourly matching, deliverability, and additionality. And to just review, hourly matching is requiring hydrogen producers to match their consumption of electricity from the grid with clean electricity production on an hourly basis. Deliverability is that renewable electricity production must be nearby the hydrogen facility. And additionality is only using renewable electricity production that has been recently installed. So let's look at the issues with these. So regarding hourly matching, I think this one probably comes about from the mistaken belief that the source and the load have to produce and use renewable energy at the same time. They do not, provided they do so within a billing time interval being used to apply for the tax credit. And this is because time is already accounted for in units of energy. Now, as I explained earlier, although the source and the load may not produce and use renewable energy at the same time, by use of the energy contract, Unique renewable energy was put onto the grid and used, thereby decarbonizing that quantity of energy, which would not have occurred without the contract between the hydrogen user and the renewable source. Now, using too short of a sampling interval, like an hour, could miss a majority of this match, therefore producing incomplete accounting of the renewable energy generated and used, because measuring on an hourly basis misstates the actual energy match It has the effect of canceling the intent of the legislation, which is to provide a production tax credit for renewable energy used to generate hydrogen. Now, if hourly matching is adopted, a majority of hydrogen generators will not be able to access the tax credit, and here's why. 
Most hydrogen generators will need to operate continuously. In other words, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in order to minimize the size of their capital equipment. However, renewable energy sources like wind and solar only produce energy intermittently. So even though Sam Solar and Harvey's Hydrogen are producing and using exactly the same amount of energy during a billing window, it often won't be synchronous. I also think it's inappropriate to try to use this legislation to attempt to force the source and the load to operate at the same time for two reasons. First, that's almost impossible for most businesses to realistically achieve. And second, it's completely unnecessary. As I've shown, hourly matching is not necessary because decarbonization is achieved even if the source and the load operate asynchronously within a billing interval. Now, regarding the concept of additionality, and again, to review, this is stated as only renewable electricity production that's been recently installed should qualify for the tax credit. Now, I understand that the intent here is to avoid diverting renewable energy already being supplied to the grid for general consumption over to hydrogen generation simply to qualify for the production tax credit. Now, the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association, FCHEA, or as it's commonly called, FICHEA, and over 50 U.S. companies have taken exception to this in a letter to the U.S. Treasury Department, and I do as well. I mean, what grounds exist to justify telling a renewable energy supplier who they can and can't sell their electricity to? Also, there's a lot of unintended consequences to allowing the tax credit to only new sources. For example, what if a solar array is supplying electricity to a hydrogen generator and that generator goes out of business? Now, that solar array would like to then supply energy to a new hydrogen generator, but would be prevented from doing so by this rule. Now, a second example of unintended consequences is what if a nuclear power plant would like to supply energy to a hydrogen generator? Under this rule, they'd be prevented from doing that because they are not a new source of energy. And I don't think that's a consequence that we want. Now, regarding the deliverability rule, which requires that the source of renewable energy in the load be nearby... Well, the concept here is that you really wouldn't want renewable energy generation, for example, say in Hawaii, to be claimed by uh, hydrogen generation in New York. In other words, the energy generator and the energy user should be connected to the same grid. This idea does have merit, but the wording is kind of vague and unclear. So I would recommend that the word nearby be changed to connected to the same grid or something equivalent to that. Well, that wraps up the summary of a method to account for renewable energy used to generate hydrogen when the grid is used for transmission. And again, all that's needed is an energy contract stating that the renewable energy from the source is being sold only to one hydrogen user, energy metering, and accounting for that energy over a defined window, such as a month. And to be clear, the source and the load really should be connected to the same grid. So I hope this helps you understand this abstract concept of energy and how to track it. As always, please feel free to send me your thoughts and comments. And if you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, consider subscribing to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. And of course, word of mouth recommendations are really important. So consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me through the website at colorado-hydrogen.org or on LinkedIn. 
So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.